We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17. Last week we started a series, we're doing a series on Elijah. How many of you have ever heard of Elijah in the Bible? All right, and so we started last week, I won't really review much from last week, but Elijah, the great prophet, and uh, we looked in the New Testament a little bit about him, and the Bible tells us that he was uh, a, just a normal, normal guy like the rest of us. He's a human being, um, and the, the scripture says that he was just as normal as us, that he had the same feelings, he went through the same emotions. Uh, even though he's greatly used by God. So the theme or the title of our series is this, Elijah, okay, ordinary man, extraordinary God. We're going to see even today how God used him in an extraordinary way, but understand that Elijah was just as human as you and I. That he suffered the same uh, feelings and emotions that you and I feel. We're going to see in this series that there's times where Elijah got discouraged. Very discouraged. There's times you see Elijah, you know, on fire for God and just really just like, you know, like a man of courage, but then you see him discouraged. And so Elijah had his ups and downs just like you and I do. You know, um, understand this, that, that, that Elijah, although he's a great man of God, he experienced the same things that you and I experienced and the same feelings that we do. You know, I think sometimes we feel like when we read these stories in the Bible, read about these great people that God used in a great way, we somehow think that they were superhuman or they were some kind of super Christian in such a way that somehow they didn't go through the same things that we go through. But let me tell you, Elijah went through the same exact struggles that you and I go through, yet God used him in a tremendous way. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. In 1 Kings 17, we're going to go to verse number 8. And we're going to read down through verse number 24. But be reminded, the book of James said this, that, that Elijah was a man just like you and I, just as human as you and I are, but he was a great man of prayer, and that God used him in a tremendous way. Beginning in verse number 8, notice what happens. I'll try to briefly kind of get us caught up, but notice what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, and he said to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. And so he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar I may have a, that I may have a drink. And as she was going to get it, notice what happens. He called and he says this, bring me please a piece of bread. And notice her response. As surely as the Lord, can you say the next word with me? Your God. As surely as the Lord, as the Lord who? Your God. That's very important to what we're going to study here in a moment. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. Think about how desperate this woman is. She says, I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself. Notice this, she's a single mom. And my son, that we may eat it and what? Die. Very, very bad situation that this mother is in, this widow. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you said, but first 
Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, notice this, the God of Israel. He is not in the land of Israel. He's in a, he's in a Phoenician country. He's in Sidon. He's outside of Israel. It's Gentile. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the Lord sends rain on the land. And she went away and she did as Elijah had told her. That took a lot of courage to do that. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. And the jug of oil did not run dry in the keeping of the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. By the way, God always keeps his word. Amen. God keeps his promises. The story does not end there. Notice what happened. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. And he grew worse. And he grew worse. And finally, he stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, what do you have against me? Man of God, do you come to remind me of my sin and to kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed, on the the bed that Elijah was using. Notice these words. He cried out to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord. Lord, my God. Have you brought tragedy on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times. Notice this. And he cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And he cries out again. Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the third time, he prays the same thing the scripture says. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. The boy's life returned to him and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house and he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, listen to these words. This is what this whole passage about, this whole, all that's happening And everything that's going on, God is orchestrating. God is at work. God is moving. God is working in this woman's life. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. Wow. What an amazing passage. Amen? What an amazing story. True story. In fact, in a moment, we'll reference the New Testament But be reminded that Elijah was in a difficult situation. Elijah was called by God to be a prophet to the nation of Israel. And Israel had a wicked king. This is after the king, after King David, after King Solomon, after a number of the good kings. A wicked king came into power. His name was Ahab. He married a woman who, her name was Jezebel, and she was Phoenician. And she was from the very place This is the backyard where Elijah was sent by God to go to be with this widow so that Elijah could be sustained. And understand that the nation of Israel had turned its back on God and they began to worship the false god, Baal. 
And we'll look at him more next week and the week after. But this false god, Baal, he was the god of fertility. He was the god of the rain and the dew. And what did, what did Elijah do when he confronted Ahab? And what did he do? We'll see next week. And what did he do when he prayed and he asked God to stop the heavens? You see, what he was doing was, in essence, it was attack on the, the God that the people were worshiping this God called Baal. There was a goddess named Ashtoreth. And so the nation of Israel had literally began to worship these false gods and turned their back on the God who delivered them and who brought them into that land. And so next week we'll study more about this, this, this God, this Baal, that they worshiped and what that looked like. But understand that that God is trying to get the nation of Israel's attention. And so Elijah prayed, and the Bible says that, that the heavens stopped, and there was no more rain, and there was no more dew. And really what it was is it was an insult to the God called Baal because that was his job. His kind of job was to be the one to provide the rain. And so when he couldn't provide the rain, that God was failing them. But God is using it to get his people's attention. May I say to you that sometimes God allows famine into our lives to get our attention. It's also possible that the Bible tells us that, that in order to get a nation's attention, God will allow things like famine to wake up his people. Now this is for a whole other sermon, but I feel led of the Spirit to say it. But we need to be looking at our country and looking at our nation and understand that we once were a nation under God and we have turned our back on God. And the things that we see coming at us and the things that we see happening and the things, even in nature, if you will, you know, oftentimes, and by the way, we try to play God. We think that we are God. We think that somehow we can stop global warming and that we can stop climate change. Can I tell you something? The only one who can change any climate change is the one who created it, and that's the God of the heavens. I mean, guys, we somehow think that we are now God and that we can control the weather and control what we cannot. God is in control. And I would propose to you that that when God heated up the land of Israel was to get the attention of God's people. Maybe we need to look at history because history is his story. Amen. His story. And history repeats itself. So they were in a terrible drought. And Elijah was at the brook Cherith where God provided for him. He says, I want you to go to Sidon. Go to the backyard of Jezebel. And there's a widow there who will sustain you. And so Elijah is obedient. And as we read in this story, when he goes and he sees this woman, she's in a very bad predicament. Her circumstances are worse than he ever could have imagined. Because she's getting ready to make her last meal with three sticks. A small little fire. And she has a handful of meal. And her and her son are going to eat it. And she says, we're going to die. And so Elijah does an interesting thing as we read this story. Elijah says to her, will you get me a drink of water? And, and we see that she's willing. She's hospitable. And so she's going to go get him a drink of water. And on her way, he says, oh, by the way, can you bring me a piece of bread? And she says, as the Lord 
your God lives, I swear. I don't have any bread in the house. All I have is a handful of meal and a couple of drops of oil. My son and I are going to make our last meal, and we were going to die. And Elijah says, well, do me a favor. Go make that piece of bread that you're speaking of and bring it to me first. Typical preacher, amen? Typical pastor, (laughs) right? (laughs) Always wanting money, always wanting something. He must have been Southern Baptist for sure. Are you with me? (laughs) Make sure you tithe. Make sure you give. Boy, what a principle we find in the scripture. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said this, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek him first and foremost. He says, and what all these things will be added unto you. Someone wisely said it like this, and you're going to see it in just a moment. It's powerful. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That as you study the Old Testament, you'll see that there are tremendous truths and the New Testament will come alive. And as you read the New Testament, you study the New Testament, it brings light to what God was doing in the Old Testament because what we understand is this, is that God is sovereign, God is in control, and he always does everything he does Because there is a purpose and there is a plan. In fact, even the fact that he sent Elijah to this woman was a part of God's overarching plan. That God is sovereign. That God is in control. And so he says, bring me a little cake first. And if you do so, God will bless you. Now, this isn't her God. She worships Baal. But I believe that she is so destitute and she is... And she's seen that she's called out to Baal. I guarantee she's prayed to Baal for food, prayed to Baal for rain. He's the God of rain. He's the God of the dew. And he hasn't answered her prayer. So why not? Why not at least, hey, you know, why not? At least try. Okay, I'll go make this cake. And so she makes a cake. She brings it to Elijah. And the amazing thing is, is when she goes back, there's more meal. There's a little more flour, and she makes another one, and there's a little bit of oil, and she she makes it, and there's more. And so she lives literally from day to day by the grace of God. Whether we know this or not, but can I tell you something? You and I, we live day by day by the grace of God. We just don't know it. We just don't live like it until things come into our lives, until circumstances come into our lives, until sickness comes into our life. My niece, she's 27, healthy, fitness, works out, graduated from Penn State, smart, intelligent, engineer. Just a couple months ago, Out of nowhere, sick, tremors, headaches. Within days of going into the hospital and CAT scans and scans, she has brain cancer. You see, you think that you have your entire life 
And maybe she does, by God's grace. She's still on fire for God. She's praying that God uses it to reach her family because her family, her parents and others are unbelievers. And she's praying that God will use it. But what I'm trying to say is this, is that we live our lives thinking that somehow we are in control and that we, that, can I tell you something? God is in control. And so, she says, I'll try it. What do I have to lose? And so she makes the cake for Elijah. And God kept his word. The Bible tells us that Elijah lives here for many days. It's possible that years go by. The famine was three and a half years. Elijah spent the, basically the majority, if not almost all, but maybe a few months of his years in this home. And because he was there, and because God was sustaining Elijah, he was sustaining this woman. Now, I want you to turn with me to Luke, or we'll put it up here, Luke chapter 4, just for a moment. Because I want you to see the big picture. And I want you to see that God was at work. And God, Jesus references this story in the New Testament. In Luke 14, just bear with me, this is the last long reading, but this is so powerful. Remember, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Of all the people, and Jesus is going to reference this, of all the people, of all the widows that were alive, why did God send Elijah to this particular widow? And we're going to see why. That was a good question, by the way. I love it when you guys ask questions. Thank you. That was a very good question. I mean, does it not hit, hit you? Like, of all the places, why did he send, of all the widows that could have been helped, God helps this widow. Why? Well, I'll give you some insight from the New Testament. It says this. This is Jesus in his public ministry. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is right after his temptation with Satan. And after he overcame the temptation of Satan, it says this, a news spread about him throughout the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, his hometown, okay? And on the Sabbath day, he, Jesus, went into the synagogue as it was his custom and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord, now I want you to listen carefully. Because if you just read this casually, you won't understand what's really happening here. So Don, you might have to help me. I'm going to read it, but we might go back to it in just a second, okay? It says this, he's quoting and reading from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
A little bit farther. Yep. Then he rolled up the scroll. I want to just pause here for a moment. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant there in the synagogue, and he sat down. But notice what's something very unique. In the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They're staring at him. Can I give you what it looks like in the Greek? Jaw dropped, staring at Jesus. We'll go on in just a moment. Now let me go back to verse 18. Let me ask you, in the synagogue, the scroll of Isaiah, very prominent passage. Let me ask you, do you think that scripture was read that before there? Yes. What made this time unique? Who's reading it? And who it's about. But let me go one step farther. Let me read it the way I think Jesus read it. You ready? Follow me. Watch as I read. He opens up the scroll. Jesus says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Whoa. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Is this sinking in a little bit now? He has sent I see Jesus doing this, me, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then verse 20, he rolls up this scroll. At the end of this, then it says the eyes of everyone were fastened on him. Now do you know why the eyes of everyone were fastened on him? Because he just said, basically, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am the prophet of all prophets. And notice what happens next. Everyone's staring at him, jaw dropped. Whoa, did he just do what we think he did? And many of them are probably reasoning in their minds, saying, no, he didn't. No, no he did not. No, uh-uh. no he didn't. <laughs> and Jesus is going to say, yes, I did. And look what he says. Then he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He removes all doubt. But he doesn't stop there. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? What they're saying is, isn't this just the carpenter's son? Isn't this just Joseph's son? Remember, this is his hometown where Jesus grew up and he played in the streets. It's just Jesus. It's just Joseph's son. In other gospels it says, isn't his mother Mary and his father Joseph the carpenter? It's just Jesus. So Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you have done in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, listen to what he says. I assure you, there were many widows in the land of Israel, in Israel, in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel 
with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and they drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. They're going to kill Jesus. But I love this. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. He was able to disappear through the crowd. In fact, you can go to the city. I've been there twice, the city of Nazareth. And there is a very high, steep cliff hill that the city is built upon. And they were attempting to take Jesus and to throw him off. And they call it, they call it the, the dancing mountain. The mountain of dancing is what it's referred to in their language. Where literally they believe that Jesus danced upon the rocks. That he just tiptoed down the rocks when they tried to push him off to kill him. It's interesting. But do you see that Jesus authenticates and validates the story of Elijah? But Jesus said there was a reason Of all the places that Elijah was sent, he was sent to someone who was a Gentile. You see, what Jesus was saying is this. They said, why don't you do works here and miracles here? It was because of, if you study scriptures, their hearts were hard. Their hearts were hard and they did not accept Jesus as being their prophet, being the son of God, being the Messiah. You see, so understand why of all people, why of all people did God send Elijah to this woman in Sidon? I'll tell you why it is this. It's because God knows the heart of every single one of us. And God knew that the hearts of his people in the land of Israel, like in the days of Jesus, that their hearts were hard and they would not receive him. What did they do when Jesus said, I am the Messiah? What did they do? They tried to kill him. Elijah, who was a prophet, was not even revered and respected in his own country. And so God sent him to a woman who was in desperate need. And understand this, we have this mentality, we have this idea, do not miss this. It was not about God sending Elijah there to meet Elijah's needs. It was God sending Elijah there to meet the widow's needs. Let that sink in. You see, Elijah at first probably thought it was all about him. And about him being sustained and him being cared for. But oh no, may I tell you something? That God sees, he sees everything. And he saw a widow who was desperate and destitute. And he saw a widow who had needs. And a little boy who had needs. And he said, I'm going to send you there, Elijah. Because I'm at work over there. Amen. And so Elijah was obedient and he went. Because that that widow was a widow whose heart God was softening. Are you with me this morning? He went to the very backyard of Baal worship. Went to where Jezebel grew up. And there was a woman, a Phoenician, a Gentile, who said, your God. Didn't even believe in him. But God knew that there was a soft spot in her heart. Amen. And he said, I am going to win you over. And so he sent Elijah. And Elijah's obedient. And Elijah goes. And Elijah does a hard thing. 
Can I just throw this out here? This is just extra. It's just free. But can I tell you something? Sometimes the most difficult thing to do is to preach the word of God, to preach the word of God when cell phones ring. No, I mean, that was a joke. (laughs) To preach the word of God when you know it could be convicting and it could cut and it could step on toes and even make people upset. But we should be faithful and do what God's asked us to do. Amen? Think about Elijah. He says to her, make me a cake first. Wouldn't that be difficult to look at this woman's situation and say to her, make me a cake first and bring it to me? Honestly, am I right? Wouldn't wouldn't you feel about this big? Now, obviously, Elijah was told by God that God was going to provide for her. But this woman, there's got to be a lot of doubt. But she took a step of faith. And God blessed her step of faith. But the story doesn't end there. Let's finish up with this, what happens. The Bible says after many days, Elijah is living there. And this is the one that's interesting to me. Is the little boy gets very sick. But it's a gradual thing because it says he got, he got worse and worse. And literally in the language, the idea is it got worse and worse and worse. And this mother... This mother who's a widow has to watch most likely her last living descendant fade away. The Bible says he finally stopped breathing. And she's, she's devastated. What's very interesting to me is this, is when you study the scriptures, you'll find that, that this caught Elijah off guard. He was not prepared for this. Elijah knew that God was going to send a famine. Elijah was warned by God and told where to go and what to do, and he did it. But what we'll find here is when you read even how Elijah responds, this catches Elijah off guard. Does that make sense? Because even he begins to question God. Not in a hateful way, but God, why? Why would you bring me to this woman's home and then take her son and allow her son to die? Why? Why, God? And so we see this challenge from God. I think there's a couple reasons for this challenge, but understand this caught Elijah completely off guard. He was warned about the famine. He was told where to go and hide at the brook Cherith. He was told to go to the widow and what God would do for her and for him. Elijah had now lived in this home and watched his boy grow. I would propose to you that he probably lived there upwards of nearly three years. I don't know about you, but would you not get attached as you watch this boy grow, can I propose to you again, Elijah's just like you and I, a human just like us. I know that this child is small enough that the mother can hold him and carry him. Is it possible that maybe he's six or seven years of age? Elijah got to see 
this boy live half of his life. Elijah, I would say, like any of us, would grow to be attached. It's possible because this woman is a widow and a single mother and this boy has no father figure. I can't but help but think that Elijah, if he's truly a man of God, would try to nurture this young man and, and love on him and encourage him and be the father that he doesn't have. How many of you would say, you know what, I think that would be reasonable? How many of you say that's reasonable? See, we don't, when we read these stories, we don't think like this. We somehow think that they're not human. They're not just like us and they don't have feelings. But Elijah had feelings. And then he watches this boy as he gets sick. And he gets sicker and he gets sicker and he gets sicker and then he dies and the woman's distraught and she's upset. Maybe as Elijah was, was gone for a little while, but when he comes home, the boy is now dead and she's, she is just devastated. Her world has just been completely flipped upside down. And she's angry. And she even kind of sarcastically calls him man of God. There's so much here, and I don't have really the time, but can I just say this? She even brings up her past. She says, you've, you've allowed this, you've done this to bring up my sin and my shame and my past. We don't know what guilt she was carrying, but for some reason she had this thought that God was a God who was holding her past over her. And that somehow, for some reason, because of something she did in her life, that the God of Israel, that Elijah's God, was angry. And so she carried guilt and she carried shame. And that she couldn't even really grieve the death of her son because she blamed herself. I don't know what guilt and what shame she had. Can I just say this to you this morning? I don't know what guilt and shame some of you carry. But can I tell you something? God is a God of love and forgiveness. Let me pause just for a moment, too. This, this stuff's deep, all right? Do you have just a few more minutes? Yeah? A couple more minutes? We got a couple minutes. Grief will do crazy things to you. Trauma that comes into our life will do crazy things. Now, it's easy for us on the outside looking in, but let's say we know the story. God allowed this boy to die. We know the end of the story, but let's say we don't know the end of the story. She's mad and she begins to blame Elijah and she blames the God of Elijah. But can I ask you a question? Three years ago, if Elijah didn't show up, what would have happened to this woman and this child? What would have happened? They would have died. It's easy for us to say on this side to say, you should have been grateful and thankful for the extra few years that God gave you. Amen? But when we're in grief, we don't see that. So what would have happened to this woman and her son had Elijah not showed up and God not intervened in her life? They would have already been dead, correct? It would have been a very slow, painful death. Okay.
So then let's go to where we are now. So let's say Elijah is there. God does provide, and she gets three years, and Elijah's son does die. Let me ask you, would he most likely have died whether Elijah was there or not? Yes. He wouldn't. It's easy for us to say, well, you should have been grateful for the extra three years or so that God gave you and that God blessed you with, but our grief will not allow us to sometimes see the goodness of God. Does this make sense? But this is not the end of the story. Because Elijah then takes this boy, takes him up to his own bedroom, the room that he's been staying in, puts him on his bed, and he cries out to God, and he prays. And let me tell you what I believe. I believe I didn't go into any deep, like, you know, original language, but when it says he cried out, I believe he cried out. Elijah wept. In fact, as we study this series, we're going to find how to get your prayers answered. Elijah knew how to get his prayers answered. And I'm going to tell you one way to get your prayers answered is when you weep before God. And Elijah stretched himself out and he cried out to God. He said, I don't understand why. I don't know what you did. Well, God, why did you do this? But he didn't, he didn't stop there. He says, God, restore this boy's life. Bring him back to life. And he cried out to God. The Bible says he did it once. See, we don't think about it like this. He did it once. And I'm sure he stood up and he looked nothing. And he did it again. Cries out to God. And begs God. He stands up and looks again. Nothing. And finally, the third time, the Bible says he cries out to God and begs God to restore this boy's health. And he finally gets up and he looks. The Bible says his breath came back into him again. He lived. And Elijah takes the boy and brings him down and gives him to his mother. Can you imagine? And this mother, man, she, we see the story. She says, I now, I now know. The last verse there, the last few verses, I know that the Lord your God, that he, you know, he speaks truth and that you are a man of God. You know what I believe? That woman that day became a believer in the God of Israel. Amen? You say, what is, what's this all about? What is God doing? What is happening here? It's this. God knew that that woman's heart was soft. God knew her guilt. God knew her shame. God knew her past. God knew everything she was dealing with. He knew that she was a widow who was destitute and was raising a child on her own. And God loved her. And because God loved her and knew that she was receptive of all the places that God sent Elijah, God sent Elijah to that woman because God knew her need and God desired to meet her needs. You want to know something? He used Elijah to meet her needs. You see, when we read the story, our first thought is it's all about Elijah and how God's going to meet Elijah's needs. Can I say this? We have to stop 
thinking this way. We have to start seeing things the way God sees things. Amen? You say, why is it important that I'm obedient? Because it's not just about you. When you're obedient, it's about those that we will have the ability to impact. Does this make sense? Because Elijah was obedient, he was able to bring the good news of God's love to this woman. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The scripture says this. Paul speaking to the church, he says this, or do you show contempt? I love this. For the riches of his kindness, God's kindness, his forbearance and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's kindness led this woman to repentance. Amen? To where she came to the realization that, that yes, the God of Israel is the one true living God. What was the purpose of this challenge? Well, most importantly, it was to bring this woman to a knowledge of the love of God and to draw her to him. And that because of God's kindness and his love for her, it drew her to repentance. The second reason, I believe, was this. It was to increase Elijah's faith. Because next week we'll be in chapter 18 and he has to go confront 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Ashtoreth. And he's going to go and confront them and he's going to have to pray and ask God to send fire from heaven. I don't know about you, but if you just prayed and God brought a boy back to life, calling fire from heaven, that ain't nothing. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Why does God sometimes allow circumstances and challenges and difficulty in our lives is so that we can see that God is faithful because, listen to me, God wants to increase our faith. Amen? Elijah's faith was increased. This was an unexpected event that took place. And Elijah responded by going to God and begging God and and praying. And when he saw God answer that prayer, the very next instruction Elijah gets is this. Go confront the prophets of Baal. Go confront King Ahab. You're going to have to go and confront them. I don't know about you, but after this victory right here, Man, that's enough to say, okay, if I can pray and God will bring back a child from the dead, then God can send fire from heaven. Amen? To increase his faith. To increase his faith. And so next week we'll look at that prayer of Elijah. It's interesting. He prayed one time and God stopped the heavens. He had to pray three times to raise a child from the dead. You'll see next week he prays once, a very short prayer, God sends fire from heaven. When it's time for God to send the rain, he prays a sec- second time and he says, God, send rain when he, about the, the weather. He says, send rain. You know how many times he had to pray there? The Bible says seven times he prayed over and over for God to send the rain. You say, why are you bringing this up? What does this have to do with anything? Can I tell you something? Sometimes God will answer prayer one, after one prayer. Sometimes God will answer prayer after three prayers. Sometimes it takes seven. Sometimes it takes more. 
In the life of Elijah, isn't it interesting that you see that sometimes he prayed just once, sometimes he prayed three times, sometimes he has to pray a very short prayer, sometimes he prayed, we'll see seven times he prayed so that God would send the rain. Can I tell you something? Sometimes prayer is not just a one-time prayer, amen? Sometimes you have to keep seeking God, keep asking God. It's on his terms. But I will tell you this, that God does answer prayer, amen? He really does. He really does. So we're finished. We're going to stand together. We're going to have a word of prayer. And as we stand together, let me just say this. God is at work all around you. Amen? Can I hear an amen? God is at work. Amen. God is at work all around you. And he wants to include you in his work. You say, well, I'm just an ordinary I just go to church. I'm just an ordinary person. Listen, the Bible says Elijah was an ordinary man who served an extraordinary God. God is no respecter of person. Just like God used Elijah and was obedient and he went to provide for that widow. Can I say this? I believe this with all my heart, that God has you at places and in people's lives for a specific reason and a purpose is because God is always at work because there are those people like this widow who are open and soft and receptive, even if they have a hard shell on the outside, even if though they may look so far from God, but God is putting you in their life to bring them to himself. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? I believe that with all of my heart. And can you imagine if we would just be obedient like Elijah? And if God says go to this person or speak to that person or be a blessing to this person or whatever, can you imagine what God could do in this county? He's already doing it, by the way. He's already at work here. How many of you see that? God is already at work here. If we would just be sensitive like Elijah and obedient, and even, here we go, even be willing to say a hard thing sometimes to someone. Obviously in the spirit of love. Elijah had to say a hard thing, but God used that hard thing to soften her heart and to bring her to the reality that God is good, that God is love, and that God wanted to show his love to this woman and because of the love that God displayed in her life, she came to know the true love of the true living God. You know what I believe? That there are people in your neighborhood, there are people you work with, you go to school with, you work out with, that you may say, oh, they're so far from God. Oh, never say that. Never say that because God is at work. Amen? You just be sensitive like Elijah was sensitive, and do what God asks you to do, and he will take care of the rest. Amen? Amen. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Oh, 